Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Last Lord's Day, we read in John chapter 12 of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is the beginning of his last week on earth before his crucifixion. We call it the triumphal entry because you remember he was hailed and received by the multitudes of Jews as their Messiah who was going to be bringing in the golden age of Israel. Jews from all over the world had gathered at Jerusalem for the Passover. There may have been anywhere from 100,000 to 500,000 people gathered in that place at this time. And for those who had lived in Judea and Galilee, for three years, they had seen Jesus' miraculous signs that he had done to prove that he was the Messiah. They had heard his teaching on the coming kingdom of God. They had heard him say, the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is even among you now. They had heard him time after time just leave his enemies in the dust, leave them speechless and embarrassed every time they tried to catch him on some theological point or tried to trap him in his own words. They had to agree with the police who said, surely no man ever spoke like this man spoke. And just a few weeks back, he had raised a man from the dead, a man who had been dead four days, and he raised him back to life. That was right here. That was in Bethany, just outside Jerusalem. And there were many eyewitnesses to that that were now in Jerusalem with them. So they're thinking, as Jesus is coming to Jerusalem with his disciples to observe the Passover, they're thinking, surely this must be the Messiah. This must be the Son of Man prophesied by the prophet Daniel. This must be that immortal king that the Old Testament talks about that God has sent to establish his kingdom on earth forever. And they're right. Well, they're partially right. In all of that celebration that's going on where people are screaming, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And they're waving the palm branches and they're throwing their clothes down in the road for him to ride over on his donkey as he's going into Jerusalem. In all of that celebration, we remember what we learned last week. Jesus knows why he's coming to Jerusalem for this particular Passover, this time. Let me read to you from the Gospel of Mark, three passages. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And he, that is Jesus, began to teach them, that's his disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. In chapter 9 and verse 31. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise again three days later. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 33. 
He's talking to his disciples. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. He knows why he's coming, and he's been teaching. I say trying to teach. Uh, God doesn't try to do anything. He does it. He's been teaching his disciples, and they haven't heard a word. They've missed all this altogether. Jesus knows why he's coming to Jerusalem this particular time. And he knows the hideous suffering that's waiting for him there. So, with that in mind, we begin reading in verse 27, and I'll read down through verse 43. This is Jesus speaking. Now my soul has become dismayed, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sake. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate what kind of death by which he was about to die. The crowd then answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ is to remain forever. How do you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. But though he had done so many signs before them, they still were not believing in him. So that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and he hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and return and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his, Jesus' glory. And he spoke about him, Jesus. Nevertheless, Many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory of men rather than the glory of God. In verses 27 through 33, we have Jesus coming into Jerusalem 
And the weight of all the hideous suffering he's about to take on himself is bearing down on him. But Jesus won't run from his purpose. He will not run from his purpose. Look at verse 27. Now my soul has become dismayed. In other words, it's in turmoil. It's agitated. He's facing the cross. He knows what waits for him. He knows that it's not... I don't know how to say this. Because I can't say it correctly. I can't say it right. It's going to come out wrong. It's not just crucifixion. That's a terrible thing to say. Crucifixion is awful. But it's, it's not simply the crucifixion, the pain of crucifixion that's facing him. It's the wrath of the triune God coming down on him while he's alive that's facing him. And he knows it. It's the wrath of the eternal God on the sins of all the people that Christ has come to save that's going to be on him. He's going to absorb it. His soul is going to be shredded. By, that's what he's facing. And so he says, my soul has become dismayed. I'm stirred up. He sees the cross. He sees what's coming. And in his humanity, he draws back from it. But notice what he does. He says, and what shall I say? This hideous, horrible wrath. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? That's a rhetorical question. You know what a rhetorical question is. A question is a rhetorical question is a question that the answer is obviously uh, yes or no. And what is he doing here? The cross is facing me. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. But for this purpose I came to this hour. This purpose, the cross. This purpose, to bear the wrath of God's elect in my own body. For this purpose, I came to this hour. So he goes from shrinking back in his humanity from the horror that's waiting for him to standing up again and saying, nothing is going to deter me from what the Father and I have planned from before the foundation of the world that I might save a people for him and that he will give them to me once I purchase them. And he turns from that and he cries out, Father, glorify your name. Mm. Glorify your name. That's been his unwavering goal ever since he came to earth. He's always been pointing his hearers to the Father. To his Father. In chapter 5, he told them, the Pharisees as a matter of fact, all these miracles I'm working... The Father's working them. This is the Father's work. It's obvious to all his disciples that Jesus is consumed with love for his heavenly Father. In chapter 8, verse 29, a verse that we're very familiar with of Providence. I always do those things that please him. That was, his whole life was about pleasing his Father. Jesus claimed that everything he taught was not just from him. But was in fact his father's words. When we get to chapter 14, we'll hear Jesus say, The words you hear are not mine, but the father's who sent me. Jesus was always 
holy, submissive, obedient, and trusting in his Father whom he loved without reservation. His whole life is dedicated to glorifying God the Father. So in spite of the horror that's facing him, and by the way, that's his Father's will. The cross is his Father's will. In spite of the horror that's facing him, he turns to cry out, Father, glorify your name. And then this voice comes from heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. I have glorified my name in all of the miraculous works you've done. You've always pointed people to me when you point, when you perform these miraculous healing works or casting out demons or whatever you have done to prove that you're a Messiah. I glorified myself in your works and I will glorify it again. When millions upon millions are going to be bought from death to life by your sacrifice on the cross. And they're going to be glorifying me forever and ever in heaven. I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. And as always, the crowd doesn't understand. Mm. Mega churches bother me for one reason, among many reasons, but... One reason is, when you've got that many people gathered together, and they're all talking about Jesus, and I can't help but wonder how many of them understand. Because the crowd doesn't understand. The crowd never understands. It's only the remnant that understands the things of God. So the crowd hears the voice, and some said, it thundered. That reminds me of of Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus. When Jesus speaks clearly, you know, Saul, Saul, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Why are you persecuting me? And the others heard the voice, but none of them understood what it said. There's something about the sovereignty of God's purposes in there. Well, some of these said, it thundered. Nice baso profundo thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus just said, Father, glorify your voice. And none of these boneheads can figure out that it must be the Father that's responding to him. This is the third time that God the Father speaks out loud in the ministry of our Lord Jesus. At his baptism. On the Mount of Transfiguration. Both of those times were public, but one was more public than the other. The baptism was very public. But it seemed like John's the only one, John the Baptist is the only one that heard the Father speak. On the Mount of Transfiguration, you've only got James, John, and Peter that hear the Father speak. And now you've got this multitude, all these people gathered in Jerusalem, and an angel must have spoken to him. Hmm. So they're distracted. And Jesus says, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sake. This voice has come, the Father has spoken, to confirm to you that I am whom I've said I am all this time. It's for your sake. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The hour has come. All of the judgment 
that the triune God, and I keep saying that because, and I know this is being recorded. We talk about the Father's wrath being poured out. We sing that in, in some of the hymns we sing about the Father's wrath being poured out on the Son. The Bible says it's God's wrath. It's the entirety of God's wrath. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's wrath against the sin, against our sin that's being poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ. Try to wrap your mind around that one. Jesus in his deity, the eternal Son, will also be pouring out wrath on the cross. I'll, I'll leave that alone. I'll leave that alone. But the time has come for that wrath to be poured out. And he's going to have to absorb it. It's all coming on him. But when Friday is done, and when Sunday morning breaks open, judgment. For at that time, all of those who recognize him for who he is, all of those who see him as the Son of God, as the true Lamb of God, as everything that he's been teaching them, and who trust him and receive him as Lord and Master and Savior, they'll all be justified. They'll be judged in his suffering and will be justified. But all those who continue to reject him and will not receive him as Lord, they will be condemned. Now, judgment is upon this world. Now, the ruler of this world will be cast out. In Luke chapter 4, in the temptation of our Lord Jesus, Luke's account, when Satan takes him up on the high mountain to show him all the kingdoms of the world, he says, all of these are mine because they've been given to me. And I'm always, I always laugh whenever I read that. You know, I could, why didn't Jesus just turn to him and say, knucklehead, who gave them to you? They're mine before they were yours. You know? But he doesn't do that. That's, that's not there in the scripture. But Satan says, all these are mine and I give them to whomever I will. He is the ruler of this world. He is about to be kicked off his throne. He's had free reign ever since the days of Adam's sin to do whatever he wants to on the face of the earth. And now the Lord Jesus Christ is going to take that sovereignty back on himself. Now he's going to boot Satan off of his throne. And Satan is no longer going to be the ruler of this world. Satan is going to be a mad dog on a short choke chain in Jesus' hands. He's going to be under the heel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. That term, to be lifted up from the earth, everybody at that time understood what that meant. That was a common expression in those days for being crucified. And he says, I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Now, I'm going to have to deal with that word all. You know, Eric says all means all. Well, it doesn't always mean all. Not in the way that we expect it to mean all. 
He's not saying, I will draw each and every man to myself, each and every human being to myself. What he's saying is, I will draw all kinds, all types of people to myself. No longer will I be seen just as the Messiah and the Lord of the Jews. I'm going to draw all nations to myself. I'm going to draw all sorts of people to myself. This is an all that we put it like this. It's an all not without exception, but an all without distinction. All sorts of people will be drawn. And he says, I will draw them to myself. Uh, Folks don't naturally come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even after we hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't naturally come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even after we hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, most of us, I can't say exclusively everyone, even after we've heard about the Lord Jesus Christ many times, most of us don't come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be drawn. Isn't that what he said in John 6, 44? No man can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him. We're going to look at that here a little bit further down as well. But his death on the cross is going to remove the barrier from the Father drawing his elect to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in verses 34 through 36... Jesus is going to have to bring those people back from their distraction. He's telling them in effect that don't be distracted when I say that I must be lifted up from the earth. I will, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Verse 33, he was saying this to indicate what kind of death by which he was about to die. And the crowds understood that. Verse 34, the crowd then answered him. We have heard from the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how do you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Did you catch an incongruity there? Jesus says, if I am lifted up, they say that the Christ is to remain forever. That the, how do you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? You see, they've already determined that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. They've already determined that he is the Son of Man. Now they say, we have read in the law. Now there's nothing in the first five books of the Bible about the Messiah living forever. So when they say the law here, that's just a generic term for the whole Old Testament. And in, let me find it here, in Psalm 110 verse 4, The psalmist says concerning the Messiah, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 talking about the son of man, the Messiah, we're told his dominion is an everlasting dominion. So when the Jews read this, they understood The Messiah, the Son of Man, is immortal. That when he comes, his reign is forever. He'll never die. So they're saying, 
how can you say, if since you are the Messiah, since you are the Son of Man, how can you say that you have to be crucified? And now they're confused. And now they're distracted. And now they're going to get involved in theological argumentation among themselves and miss the main point. So Jesus has to bring them back to the main point. Verse 35. So Jesus says to them, listen, Harry Maples paraphrase, listen, for a little while longer the light is among you. While, walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. I'm going to be here just a little while longer. I'm the one who shows you how to get where you want to go, which is eternal life, which is to be reconciled with the Father. I'm the one who shows you how to do that. I'm the one who does that. So he says, I'm going to be here just a little while longer. Walk in the light. Believe me now. Believe in me now. Walk while you have the light. So that the darkness, the confusion, the unbelief, the, the misunderstanding, so that the darkness will not overtake you. Because when darkness comes, you're not going to know where to go. And Friday, darkness is coming. So while you have the light, while I'm here, while you're hearing me clearly, while you're seeing me clearly, believe in the light. So that you may become sons of light. That idea of sons of light. So that light may characterize you. So that <clears throat> as John eight twelve says. You may receive the light of life. So that you might know eternal life in me. Then look at the end of verse 36. These things Jesus spoke. And he went away and hid himself from them. This is the end of Jesus' public ministry. For three years, he's been teaching his disciples and he's been teaching the crowds. And everywhere he goes, he's drawing crowds. That's over. From this point out until the cross, there'll be no more public ministry. He's going to devote himself to his disciples. He's going to be teaching them alone and preparing them for what's going to happen on Friday and what's going to happen on Sunday. And of course, they're going to miss most of it. But when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, it's all going to come back in vivid color. But look at verse 37. And here we see that those who are convinced that he is the Messiah refuse to believe him. Now, doesn't that sound contradictory? Those who are convinced that he is the Messiah refuse to believe him. Look at verse 37. But though he had done so many signs before them, they still were not believing in him. They had never been believing in him. That's a present tense verb. 
All this time, all they had was mere surface belief because of the miracles. They basically believed in the miracles. But they never committed themselves wholeheartedly to him. They never saw him and trusted him for who he was. Now, the miracles themselves should have convinced them that he had all authority in heaven and earth. That he had authority over sickness. That he had authority over sin. You remember the man that was paralyzed and his friends let him down through the hole in the roof? And the Lord Jesus looked at him and said, sons, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees said, who is this that forgives sins? And Jesus said, wait a minute, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I have authority to over sin. Take up your bed and walk. And he got up, picked up his pallet and walked out the door. The miracle should have convinced all those who were watching him and listening to him that he had authority over sickness, he had authority over sin, he had authority over death. I mean, he's raised three people from the dead that we know of. And just recently, Lazarus. And he has authority over Satan and the demonic. And he has been casting out demons throughout his entire ministry. That should have convinced them who he is. This isn't just a man. This isn't just a prophet. This is the son of God. But though he had done so many signs before them, they still were not believing in him. Hmm. Look down at verse 42. Skip down there. It says, Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory of men rather than the glory of God. He says, Well, these guys believe in him. No, they believe in him exactly the same way that the crowds believe in him. They're convinced that he is the Messiah. They are convinced that somehow he is going to bring in the kingdom of God. Maybe they just put out of that, their mind what he said about an eye if I am lifted up. You know, we, we just, we're not going to think about that. But he is the Messiah. But they never entrusted themselves to him. They never saw him for who he really is. Not just the Messiah. Not just some immortal human. But who he had been saying from the very beginning. I am God's own son. Not only that, what he'd been saying here most recently, before Abraham was, I am. And I and the Father are one. And we know that they never believed that he was who he says he is because they weren't willing to confess him. That's always the test. That's always the test. Those who have received Christ, those who know Christ, those who become new creatures in Christ, we confess him. Yet, who's this Jesus you believe in? He is Yahweh God Almighty become man. That's who he is. He is our creator. He's my God. I worship him. <gasps> We're going to put you, you dare say such a thing. We're going to kick you out of church for saying such a horrible thing. And since they fear.
feared the Pharisees since they honored and clung to the glory that comes from men rather than the glory that comes from God. They can't meet the standard for salvation. If you confess Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. They were not willing to confess who they believed he was. So it was nothing more than intellectual assent to facts about Jesus. And it was not faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So none of this crowd is believing in him. None of them are trusting him. Which only proves what the Bible has been saying from beginning to end. Man's heart is so set against God that no matter what miracles the Lord Jesus Christ does, they don't change hard hearts. We talked about that in an earlier sermon. No matter what he himself says to them, no matter what he himself promises them, what he offers them, they'll only pretend to listen to him. They'll only flatter him with their lips, but their stony hearts are still far from him. The Father has revealed the strength of his arm in the miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ has done in his name. But it only wowed the crowd. It didn't convert them. Look at verse 38. Well, back to verse 37. But though he had done so many signs before them, they still were not believing in him. So that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, stop right there. I've already explained to us, the reason they didn't believe is because man's heart is so hard and so set against God. Ever since, ever since Cain, man's heart has been set against God, that unless the Lord gives him a new heart, no sinner is going to repent. And trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not saved by intellect. We're not saved by information. We're saved by grace. Through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And the faith comes from God. It's not something we can work up. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? So we know that the reason they didn't believe in him. Was because they had dead, stony hearts. But there's another reason they didn't believe in him as well. Now remember the context. We're talking about all these Jews in Jerusalem at Passover. That's the context. Look back down at the scriptures. Verse 39. For this reason they could not believe. For Isaiah said again. So we're going to be, be given another reason other than the natural antagonism and hostility of men's hearts toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I can say it, and maybe I speak as a fool, but if I do, I do. This is an even greater reason why they didn't believe him. Look at verse 40. He, Yahweh has blinded their eyes and he hardened their heart lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and return and heal them 
These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke about him. Because he saw Jesus' glory and he spoke about Jesus. You mean to tell me that the reason that they did not believe in the Lord Jesus, even after seeing all his miracles, and after hearing all that he said, and after confounding all of his enemies, and giving them every proof that he is the promised Messiah of God, the reason they didn't believe is because God blinded their eyes and shut their ears and hardened their hearts? That's exactly what I'm saying. That's why they could not believe. God stopped them from believing. You say, what? We know from history, from the Bible, that God does this. He does it for his glory. He does it for a greater purpose. You remember Pharaoh? You come as a a natural man, as a a natural antagonistic man, and you're not going to believe in Yahweh. And so God gives all these miracles, all these signs through Moses. But before Moses goes in, God says to Moses, he's not going to believe you. I'm going to harden his heart so that he won't believe you. How dare God do that? How dare God do that? Because he's God. And he's the only one that's got any rights in the universe. And he has the right to do with his creations as he pleases for his own purposes. He had a much greater purpose in mind. I'm going to harden his heart. I'm going to harden his heart. I'm going to harden his heart. Every plague that comes, Pharaoh hardens his own heart and God hardens his heart. Until the last plague. And that breaks him. And what was the purpose of God hardening Pharaoh's heart? So that he would gain the glory of setting his people free from Egyptian slavery. That Pharaoh can't take one ounce of glory for setting his people free. Nobody's going to look back and say, what a nice man Pharaoh was. He was an evil, murderous idolater. And God hardened his heart so that when his people were set free, everybody knew God did it. And God has, as God hardened Pharaoh's heart to his glory and for his purposes, he hardened these Jews' heart to his glory and for his purposes. See, I don't understand. Let me clarify. What would have happened if the Jews had received the Lord Jesus Christ as he is? They would have made him king on that day. And then they would have taken him out Friday and crucified him, right? No, you don't crucify your king. They would have sat at his feet and they would have said, teach us about the Father. We're so confused. The Pharisees and the Sadducees have got us so confused. Please straighten us out. If the Jews had received him as their king on that day, Jesus would never have been crucified on Friday. And if the Lord Jesus Christ was not crucified, 
God's purpose in sending his son would not be fulfilled. We would still be in our sins. We would still be doomed and condemned. And everyone on earth that has ever lived and ever will live would, would go to hell. And heaven would be empty except for angels and the triune God. And all that the Father and the Son had purposed to do in eternity back which is to win a people for his own possession, zealous for good works, would never come to pass. Now I speak as a fool. Because can anyone frustrate the purposes of God? No. So to make sure that his son will be crucified on Friday, the father hardened their hearts blinded their eyes to fulfill his purpose so that millions and millions of sinners millions and millions of hypocritical lip service blinded self-serving self-worshipping sinners will be converted by the grace of God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit into new creations in Christ so that millions and millions of sinners like you and me, Jew and Gentile, will be brought to faith by the grace of God and through his power and be made children of God, made children of light, so that we will glorify him forever. I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. And we who have been cleansed, we who have been forgiven, we who have been washed, we who have been made new creatures in Christ, we who have been adopted by God out of the gratitude of the new hearts that he has implanted into us, glorify him again and again and again. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Stand with me, please. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And we are dismissed.